listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 Jonas, now think about this. And Michael Jordan in his prime was worth six points. LeBron in his prime, six points. So we're saying Chris Paul is worth two-thirds of the best player in the history, four points, not six. <sighs> that seems high. Is that is that based on, and, and, and I think this is kind of interesting, because is that based on the fit on that team? Like, would he be worth four points on every team? Is this just a broad? No, no, it's a great question. It's a great question. The only reason to do a ranking like this is to say, okay, he's out, so let's subtract four points or whatever the number is. So in general, you know what the analogy would be? The analogy would be like win totals in the NFL. If you stack rank them, that's going to generally be the power rankings. But there's factors other than how good the team is in a win total, like strength of schedule, right? So, and that's the main factor. So in general, I agree with you. If you stack ranked how much every player was worth, it would be a proxy for these are the, the best players in the league in, in this order. But a guy could be, I mean, like look at Harden. What was Harden worth with Houston? Now, in that case, it was motivation. But, but you know, you could make the case that you might have expected Harden to not be worth as much with the Nets. But he ended up, I think, being worth more, which was surprising. But you could see, I mean, I guess the one example would be Steve, you know, the, I always bring up is Steve Young and Joe Montana is when Steve Young was with the 49ers, how valuable was he? Hardly yeah. valuable at all, right? Because yeah, he, he yeah. didn't play. So it, it's an interesting question um, in that case, because literally if you're not on the field, how can you be worth anything? Yeah, and I just wonder, I mean, obviously he's going to be impacted. I think there's no doubt Chris Paul's going to play, but obviously, you know, he's going to be impacted somewhat. And I just wonder, I mean, does that make him worth now two and a half points? Does that make him worth two points? Like how much does that limitation Oh, well, that, that brings that? up another question. So once you have the binary of on-off and you have that number, then the question becomes, okay, uh, what percentage strength is he now a replacement player? Yeah. Because, because what you really, when you do on offs like that, it's going to be, well, whoever else is on that team that would fill that role. And that's not a classic replacement player. That's more if you get someone off the street, you know, the best player available at the time that's not with another team. And that's usually those jumps are higher. When you do it for a team like this, you're saying if he's off the court, how much does he hurt the team? And that's why you can actually do an on off. Now, 72 games isn't going to be enough. But if you say, how do the Suns do with them on the court? How do they do with them off the court? Over the course of three years with three different teams, you're probably going to get a pretty good idea of what his strength is. Though one year probably isn't enough because you see some real aberrations with just one year. Like, um, I think Murray, and I'm going by memory here, but Murray's uh, plus minus on the year is is is. You know, I'm going to look it up, but I remember it's very unimpressive, is my recollection. But I don't think anyone thinks Murray's a replacement player. It's 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 one year's data, and again, usually with sports, sample size, it's too small, and thus the pure math way is not the best way to do it. you got to do math and then other assumptions. We are straight out of Vegas. Okay, to wrap up the Lakers, I think there's a lot of questions here. 
there's a general sense that the Lakers can't get beat in the first round. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But I also think there is a magical elixir in the NBA playoffs where a guy like LeBron with all that experience that to, it, we're talking about advancing here. Who's going to win four games? And you got to get, and let's be honest, Chris Paul has played poorly or he, his team's performance in playoffs have underperformed over his career. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, definitely. And and look, the one, the closest he got, and we can say, well, he got injured. That's not you know really his fault. But it, it does have to be talked about. The closest he got was that series against the Golden State Warriors. We talked about how great that Houston team was, and, and they were really good. And then Chris Paul's body failed him at the end of, I want to say it was game six. And then they got into game seven. Harden couldn't, couldn't hit a shot. And I think that has to also be talked about, that the injuries have impacted his runs as well too yeah but that brings up an interesting question is as we said a couple weeks ago the idea that maybe chris paul cares so much that that helps in the regular season but it becomes a negative in the postseason and maybe his physical health if you know if you're if you're trying too hard and you're not uh westbrook maybe you start pulling hamstrings, which has been two of the injuries in recent, you know, two times in recent years. Uh, I mean, it's not like Chris Paul has been super injury prone in the regular seasons. So is it small sample size randomness or is it there's something going on here? What I know is there's something going on for LeBron and the Lakers on the positive side when it comes to playoffs because they win and LeBron wins for the most part, not in the finals all the time, but for the most part. So I don't, you know, right now at even money, ugh, I don't know. I, I probably think the line's right. You give me plus 150 on either team, I'd probably take it. So for this game, I think the line's probably right. The more I think it through, Chris Paul is, you know, if we assume he's at 50% uh, or, or let's say 50% of his value, which wouldn't be at 50%. And if it's, let's say, a, a two-point adjustment, Mackenzie, did you get that data? Yes, over the last three years, his average on-off is plus six. Plus, so he's the greatest player of all time. Like you said, these no, there can be a lot of variations. <laughs> yeah, but now we're up to 200 games, so maybe it's not. Gosh, that's crazy. He's incredibly valuable. Where's that rank? Where's, uh, is there any ranking anywhere? Where the? I guess not over three years, but... We should do a quick study on that. Like, see who the top ten people were this year. Do a three-year. We'll do. We'll announce it tomorrow. I, 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 I wonder if anyone's at that level, huh? But now the question becomes, how much of that is Chris Paul as a quasi coach, and can he be that? Even I mean, if he's hindered by his shoulder, he he's still going to be able to coach on the court, right? So could we make the case that Chris Paul is affected by a physical injury less than any other player in the NBA because his, his contribution is more mental and more communicating to the rest of the team? Yeah, I, makes I a lot of sense to me. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. 
Devin Booker is the, you know their most dynamic offensive player by far. So you know the, if Chris Paul was their leading scorer and their best offensive player, period, then I think it would probably have more of an impact than, than what it has right now because he stayed in the game. It's not like he left the game. He stayed in the game. He was you know hampered a little bit by it, but he was still able to make some plays. So to what? To what degree do you feel like he would? Because I don't know in an injury like this, does it, when it's warm, does he play better and then it swells up and it's hard two days later? Or does it just get better two days later? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and I don't know if this is something to where you can get a shot and then go out there and it numbs it for a significant amount of time. Um, and, and like, I, Probably I, I don't doesn't know help the touch on the jumper. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I, don't, I don't know the approach that, that they would take with this as far as to remedy the situation. I, I did notice that. That while we were talking, the uh, the total in the game on pregame.com went up to two ten and a half from two oh nine and a half at the start of the show. Wow, so. that's, that's interesting because to me, that does feel like a positive Chris Paul because the Lakers are a defensive team. Yeah, number one defense in the league. So you see the total taken up. It doesn't necessarily say Lakers. It says offense. And, you know, Chris Paul obviously is going to be hindered more in offense and defense, it would seem, because you need more, you know, fine motor skills. So to, to finalize or uh, put a capper on this Lakers-Phoenix, obviously a big, probably the biggest NBA game of the year up to this point, and it goes tonight, is the line in game one on Friday was three, Phoenix. Line dropped to two before the game. So two was the line that they thought was appropriate. My speculation was LeBron's chance of being suspended or whatever was somewhat driving that three. It was inflated because of that. Now let's give it a point, a point and a half for the zigzag, which is because the Lakers lost and the Suns won. So now we're going down to minus a half. And then is Chris Paul worth two points with his hindered shoulder? I'm not sure that he isn't. So that would get us to minus one and a half. So to me, if Chris Paul's 100%, the value's on the Suns. If he's not, it feels like the line has been adjusted appropriately. This is the exercises that you have to be able to do if you want to bet on, you know, bet and originate. Uh, Jonah's closing thought, does that all, does that, do you agree generally? Yeah, no, and, and I also agree big picture with your point. This is the biggest game of the season so far in the NBA because I, I think this changes a lot of what people thought going into the series and a lot about what they now think based on what they've seen with two editions of, the, of, this, of this series and this matchup. Well, let's think of it like this. Shanahan said you don't know if you're going to be alive on Sunday. <laughs> so I wonder, maybe LeBron retired and this is all moot. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Marion. And I have a new sports podcast called The Lights Out Podcast with Sean Marion. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who's ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Merriman on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Let's start real quick with the Julio Jones numbers, and then we got a very interesting Aaron Rodgers number. And we'll get into the Aaron Rodgers comments tomorrow a little bit more. So... This is the next team odds for Julio Jones. 
Now, it, they don't have listed Atlanta. So if traded, the Patriots are the big favorite to land Julio Jones. In fact, they're even money. So pretty much, and the VIG is in there. So it's a little less than this, but it's almost 50% chance the Patriots land Julio Jones if he's traded. The Titans are the second favorite, plus 275. So even money, second favorite jumps to 275. And the Titans weren't even in the mix too much before, and now they've surged. And then I'll rattle off a few more teams. The Ravens, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Colts, and the Packers. And then the Cowboys. What a lineup. Okay, but the Patriots are about 50% if he is traded. Okay. This is fascinating. Green Bay Packers, first snap of the week, one. So who takes the first snap of the season, which is a proxy for who's going to be their starting quarterback, if not Aaron Rodgers. If it's Aaron Rodgers, it's not a bet. Drew Locke is the favorite. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) If I'm a Packers fan, I'm heading for the hills. Derek Carr, second favorite. Jordan Love is third. So two quarterbacks... You want to have a feeling of how the pick has went so far. Year two, a first-round quarterback wouldn't start, but Drew Locke would. I mean, that's almost, ugh. And then, uh, yeah, there's some goofy stuff after that. Russell Wilson, Tua. They're giving seven to one on Russell Wilson. Let me let me kind of say something right here. Um, yeah, it's not seven to one that Russell Wilson <laughs> is going to be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Are the odds even 70 to 1 of that? <laughs> Would you bet it a 70 to 1? No, no. no, no <laughs> but chance. they're laying 7 to 1. Yeah. But, but I do think it's fascinating that Drew Locke is the favorite. Any comments? Great. If not, let's jump to the NBA. I, I just think that it's pretty telling that the guy who's got a year's head start experience in that offense is the third favorite to two newcomers, and we're already uh, approaching June. Like you know, that, i got to be honest yeah. with you. If it's Derek Carr, I see it. If it's Drew Locke, I wish I could make a bet. If Drew Locke gets traded, who starts Aaron or um, who starts Jordan Love or Drew Locke? I'd bet some pretty big money on uh, Jordan Love. I agree. 